please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading this morning from Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of God. Thank you, Eleanor. really appreciate that. And some of you are probably going, why in the world did we let the kids go before they heard that first verse? Right? Children, obey your parents. All right? Well, we'll get to that in a second here, but uh, let me pray for us and, and then jump into the text that we have. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians if you have not yet on your Bible, in your Bible or your app or whatever digital form or paperback form or whatever and, and have that in, the, in your hand because I want, really want you to see it as... Is, uh, is such an important uh, text. <clears throat> well, let me pray. And Jesus, we, we thank you so much for how you are orchestrating your church. We thank you for calling us, even in this book of Ephesians, to um, do the works that you've called us. Uh, even before time even existed, you've called us to a work. And so help us be faithful in that work. Help us to live out the passions that you have given us through your Holy Spirit uh, to serve the body to serve your church, your bride, and help us uh, speak of the bride uh, faithfully um, uh, and uh, love the bride and, and care for the bride as you care for your bride. And so I just pray, uh, Lord, as we now learn of these things, uh, fathers, children, and uh, slaves and masters, may, may we uh, learn and, and pull out uh, whatever truth you are calling us to today and apply it to our life. Not just be hearers of your word, but doers. So I just pray for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, last week we talked a little bit about, and if you go back and listen to it, we talked about biblical submission and biblical headship. And what shouldn't be surprising is that these themes continue in our text today. It, it's one flowing book. And so there's really a great book by David Paulson, and you can jot this down. I, I recommend it, hi, highly recommend it. Uh, David Paulson, Seen with New Eyes. And I'm introducing this book because I definitely borrow some of his thoughts uh, for day, today's passage. Well, Ephesians being a letter from Paul to the church of, in Ephesus, uh, we shouldn't be shocked that it flows together, like I said. It's one story. It's one letter. And uh, the unfortunate part is that we, we not only do this with letters in the Scripture, but we do this with the entirety of the Bible, is what we'll do is take chunks of it 
uh, out, out of context and actually develop our theology or doctrine out of that rather than looking at the whole story of God right from the beginning to the end and then developing our theology and our doctrine out of the whole story of God, not just chunks of it. And that's called systematic theology. It's looking at the whole Bible and, and walking through the whole text and what is it saying here. And I'm saying all of this because what we have heard the last week and what we have read this week and through the letter of Ephesians, there is an amazing theme <clears throat> through the letter of Ephesians uh, of submission to loving authority. Like submission to a loving authority, but also a submission to our self-kingdom that we might pursue and serve one another. So kind of two callings in all of this, and it's a, it's a theme throughout the, uh, the book. And last week this, played, this was played out in the roles of husband and wife. And this week we continue the idea of submission that we saw in chapter 5, verse 21, when, when Paul calls us to uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is why we do it. We submit to one another out of revering Christ, revering Jesus. And so we saw that play out in the role of both wife and husband in differing ways. And we'll touch that right at the end. And here again in the roles of four points for us today is child and parent, father-child, slave-master, and master-slave. So I want to go through these, each of these interpersonal relationships and see what we can learn, be challenged in, and if convicted, may it lead us towards confession with one another. May we look at one another as a brother or sister and go, oh my goodness, I've wronged you. I've not lived out what God has called me to. And may we do, like Dale said, may we do that in our communities. Like we're called to lovingly confess with one another, whether you be a father or a child or a community group leader or an attender in that, in that case, you are brother and sister. And so we're called to this. And so if you're not yet involved, this is massive plugs of community group right now. Dale just plugged it and I'm going to plug it again. If you're not involved in a community group yet, please get involved. That's where I would say at least 80% of ministry is taking place in a community group. And so weekly, we need to meet with one another and love one another and get to know one another. Vitally important. So look at, my, look at the first point again, child, parent. That's what we're going to hit right now. So the role of the church, us as a body of believers, friends, and also <clears throat> the community is to play the helper. Is to play the helper. The church, friendships, and the community that we live in is to play the helper. And last week we talked about the helper being the undergirder, the, the one that comes alongside and helps and sees things maybe you don't see. And so to come alongside, and I want to do our role as the church. I want to help all of us and also myself included. I want, we want to do this with excellence. We want to be the, a good helper. We want to be the, a good one that gets to really know one another and care for one another and come alongside one another with a deep a heart and a love for them. And this is why I want to pray for our kids every Sunday. Like I, I love gathering the kids together and, and praying for them and seeing them. It's like it's one of my favorite times actually in the gathering when all the little kids move and it empty, empties the gym a little bit because there's so many of them and they walk out and seeing all their cute little faces and, and the little girls in their little outfits. But it's, it's a beautiful time. This is the next generation of the church. And we ought to pray for them and love on them and care for them and walk with them in so many ways. 
And this is why we do this. And this is why community events to run around Rice Lake, throw rocks on the ice and have conversations with one another, which we had 20 to 30 people coming out and one dog, which was awesome, walking around Rice Lake and having community together. And it was a beautiful time. This is why we do it. Friends, church, this is why on the newsletter, we have a newsletter for one, but secondly, I I invite all of us to come at 9.15 a.m. to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to love on one another, to be members uh, of this congregation, of this church. We're, We're actually calling you to do that at least twice a month. Not to be religious, not to make you feel guilty, but for you to give, an oppor- to give you, the church, an opportunity to pray in front of your kids in a different setting than you might at around a dinner table. To give you an opportunity to love on the people around you. It's an opportunity for us. It's not to make you feel guilty or to feel religious about it. It's given us opportunities to love and care for the body in different ways. And fathers, it's especially for you that you will have that opportunity to show leadership to one another, to care for those around you, to be a servant leader within this church. So let's read the text again. Look at it in your Bibles. It's verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's a pretty sweet promise. See, submission and obedience to mom and dad is a way for the child to image Christ's likeness and is to image the church. See, we always, last week, we always reflect something. And this is just another opportunity to reflect the image of Christ in our submission to mom and dad. And so when we call our children to obedience, parents, we need to lovingly teach this. They will just not automatically obey you. We need to teach this and ingrain it in their lives to, so that at the age of 10, they know deep in their soul that they know why they are obeying you as mom and dad. And so it's ingrained in their soul. Why they listen to you is because it's an opportunity to image Christ. And so you train them up in this. You teach them this. And this is why we call you to it. And so they also might have an opportunity to image the father. So when we as parents ask our children to clean their rooms, we need to teach them and help them understand that it's an opportunity to submit and obey and image Christ in his, in Christ's submission to this father. Like Christ came down for us, for our sake, to help us, and he submitted that to his heavenly father. So like we give chores, have our older kids pay rent, it's to train them to walk in obedience to authority. It's to train them up that they might fall in line as Christ has called us to under the authority of the Father, a loving authority. And the cherry on top is that the the Bible, not Jer, not Dad, but the Bible promises that it will go well with you and then you may live long in the land. And just so your kids are fully aware, and maybe you also, meaning maybe you never practiced this as a child, like each one of us, but just because you were no longer a child you still are a child. And you might need to use this afternoon to call your parents and ask for forgiveness for how you acted as a teenager. What a challenge that is. 
to show humility before your parents, to show humility before maybe your kids, to give them an example of what it might look like, to honor your father and your mother. See, brothers and sisters, we, when we humble ourselves in this way with a right heart motivation, like not just to do it, but to do it with a right heart motivation, it will go good for you in the land and you will be blessed. Again, so we are fully aware to obey your parents is not a light throwaway command. It's not a light one. It's mentioned multiple times in the scripture, the greatest of which is in the Ten Commandments. It's number five on the list. Like God himself put his finger to a stone and carved it in stone. Obey your father and your mother. This is not a light throwaway commandment. And you remember the story, right? Moses came down, saw all the Israelites partying, so he smashed them down. And so God did it again. Didn't skip that one. This is a big time command. And this command is listed in, in, in other ways too. Another spot is in Romans chapter one, which if you're familiar with Romans chapter one, it's like when, when man has suppressed the truth because they just want to serve and, and worship other things than God. And so they suppress the truth and, and rather than worshiping God rightfully, they, they worship creation. And this is the context in Romans 1, 28 through 31. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. It says this three times in this chapter. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. This is, this is crazy language. God gave them up to what? A debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Interesting that obeying parents is in the midst of this, these things, but interesting but not shocking. So you see, it's the subtle change in the heart at a young age. And this is why, man, we get, we get about five years where your kid has no memory of, right? You've got about five years of messing up and learning, right, as a parent, right? Make all your mistakes early, right? Because at five, they're starting to remember, right? So you got about five years to, to figure this out. But those little subtle changes of disobedience all of a sudden look like this when they get to teenage or 20s or 30s and so on and so forth. It's the subtle change in the heart at a young age that can lead to devastating change later in life. And look again at our text from last week. The church, the bride, is called to submission to Christ. We're called to submission to Christ. See, the book I mentioned by David Paulson brings in the idea, and I love this language, that even though you may be a mother or a father, you still are a child. And this is part of our core identity. You are a child. Like, let that sink in. You are a child of a heavenly father. So children of our heavenly father, we are called to obedience and to give our kids an example of what that might look like. So like good parents, we want to challenge our kids to learn, grow, and do better each day, like change from one degree of holiness to the next, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But part of that is asking some application questions for ourselves as well. Not just speaking about this, 
but actually asking yourself some really hard questions. And we're doing this in our men's Bible study every Saturday. Last Man, we went after the heart yesterday. And I want to do that a little bit with us as a body. So how have we walked this week? Like, think deeply about it. As a child of the Heavenly Father, how have we walked this week in disobedience to our Father? Like, really think about it. Ask the Lord to reveal how you've walked. What do we need to confess today, this past week? This is why we want to do communion every single week. Because we need something to confess every single week. We need to take time and, and reflect on our heart and how have I, as a child of, of Almighty God, acted when I was driving, parking, in my home, in the quietness of just me time? There is something for all of us here. And when you bring this up around the table, and I encourage you to do so as fathers and mothers, bring it up around the table and share with your kids. Hey, Dad is messed up in this way this week. And I just, can we just pray as a family together? I, I, I want to confess before you of the, these things that I've done. What a humble picture of servanthood to your heavenly father. See, this is not just for your children, but for all of us, because each one of us, like I said, is child. So growing up in a Christian home is meant to be a positive foundation building uplifting experience where parents like Proverbs 22 6 says start children off the way they should go and man that takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of laying yourself down for the sake of your kids and even when they are old they will not turn from it so children need to see God's love and character modeled through their parents' lives. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 in the NLT says it this way, listen when your father corrects you. Listen when your heavenly father corrects you. If you're, if you're see, hearing something from me, I, like I don't know your story, I don't know what you did this week, but if you're feeling convicted in your heart, that's from the Holy Spirit. So hear, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Man, the posture of obedience is the posture of learning. It's the posture of learning. May we be learners this week. Well, my second point is father, child. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a lot here for us dads does not say fathers and mothers. You cannot gender this, this verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So first step, look at the words provoke and anger there. Provoke could be interpreted to irritate or arouse feelings such as anger, hurt, shame, and fear to the point of exasperation. The image here is of an overbearing disciplinarian who constantly corrects and rebukes a child for every little mistake or perceived wrong. I've done a lot of youth ministry, uh, about 15 years of it, and, and then 20 years of it and as, a, as a dad to high school kids. And, and I, I've wept with kids in corners and in classrooms and hallways of a church. And I will never forget, I even got his name, but I won't share it. 
we're sitting in the hallway and he's weeping. And he looks at me and goes, Jer, my dad has never encouraged me. Never once in 15 years have I heard mom's name. It's always dad. And he looks at me and goes, Jared, I got 96% on my science test. And I showed my dad thinking I was, this is going to be the time of encouragement. And he goes, why didn't you get a 98? This, this is one of those things that we need to put ourselves back in the shoes of the child. If your dad and maybe some of you had this experience, always criticized your work or performance, pointed out your faults, shared the tone of discouragement rather than encouragement, I can't imagine feeling like you wanted to move forward. This could be what we dads are doing to our kids. Don't provoke to anger. Again, going back into the context of this passage, the father represents Christ and is to imitate him and his likeness of forgiveness, love, and laying ourselves down for the sake of another. And Christ, remember, acted in submission to the father. So whether father or mother, your core identity is again child. And so now look at the word anger there. So that's provoke, and now look at the word anger. In, in the original text, it means anger, right? This is not confusing, right? Paul, Paul, but Paul also wrote a letter to the Colossian church, and if you read Colossians alongside Ephesians, you're going to see a, a, like a, a massive similarity here. These two letters mirror each other. I don't know how closely they're related that Paul wrote Ephesians and Colossians. I haven't looked it up. But it is, it is almost identical in the language they use. And here in Colossians 3.21, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So what we can glean from here is the fact that Paul, probably witnessing fathers provoking their children to anger and provoking their children to discouragement. And he, he writes a letter to Ephesians going, don't provoke your kids to anger. He wrote, writes a letter to the Colossian church going, don't provoke your kids to discouragement. And so may we take the lesson from both these letters and go, let's be careful of how we are provoking. Not only do we dads not want to anger our children, but our provoking might actually discourage them as well. And, and I've done enough counseling and, and talking with high school kids and also with parents in their 50s and 60s of going, holding on to the anger and the discouragement of their father all the way back to their 10, 11 years old. The language of a father is incredibly powerful. It comes with a lot of accountability. Let me share a quote from Paulson's book. It's a little bit longer one that might be of help. It says this, the Christian father is not to overcorrect or harass his children or they will become discouraged, which refers to a listless, sullen resignation, a broken spirit that Man, it is hard to recover from a broken spirit. To be discouraged as a child means to think things like, I'll never get it right, or all, the, all he does is criticize, or he'll never love me. And then it says, John Newton is reported to have said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Whew. 
Christian fathers should be sure their children are as sure of their love as they are of their authority, end quote. See, the last portion of verse 4 talks about our job as dads to bring our children up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, fatherhood, like I said, is a high calling and should not be, should not be taken lightly because it comes with much accountability. In Genesis 18, 19, uh, God is talking to Abraham in the context here. And he says, For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household. Listen to this, dads. Command your children and your household. That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. There's a promise all the way going back into Genesis. See, the context here is Abraham on the hills. Think about this. Abraham standing on the hills with the Lord speaking to him. On the hills overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. They got wiped out by the Lord. Speaking with the Lord and the Lord giving this instruction to him to command, teach, and instruct his children in the ways of the Lord overlooking a city that has walked away from the Lord completely. What an image. Abraham, train up your children. Look, train up your children in instruction of the Lord, in righteousness and justice. See, fathers, how are we doing? How are we doing? Notice I'm saying we. I've got four kids. Your parenting does not stop, as you know. The calling is the same for us today. Are you, your instructions filled with love and gentleness, or are you provoking and discouraging your children like anything, we all need to get better at this. And to get better, we practice and train ourselves. It's a practice. So may we as fathers here at the shore be known for our loving care for our kids and our faithful discipline that leads to righteousness and justice. And I, I can't help but point this out. Fathers, your role. It's your role. So when your kids are misbehaving, it's your role. When your kids are running around, when, when you want to train them up into righteousness and justice, your role. Your wife is your helper to undergird you in your role. So may we be faithful fathers in this. Like Abraham, we climb, we can climb a mountain and we got all kinds of mountains over the, overlooking our city, which has actually turned from the Lord. They've, our city has suppressed the truth and, and is worshiping other things right now. It's really obvious. And so we can actually take our kids up there as God did with Abraham and now overlook the city. Isn't this beautiful? But isn't this, a, isn't this crazy that the, the world has starting to suppress God's truth and the, the beauties of creation. There has to be a creator. And look at, this is the world of, of destruction now. And, 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 and they've turned away from God. They're worshiping other things. And so I want to train you up, son or daughter, to raise you up to worship Jesus Christ and him alone. In righteousness and justice, so we're called to something far greater. Point number three, slave, master, verses five through eight. <clears throat> Bond servants, obey your heavenly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, 
not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Again, this goes back to, I don't have the diagram back from last week, but you can look it up. Basically, it's really simple, vertical, horizontal. This passage is going, stop worshiping the eyes of the horizontal. Look to please the, your heavenly father. Look to serve him. So whatever you do, look to serve Christ and love the people beside you that you've been called to. <clears throat> so just so we're all on the same page here as well, that first word there, bond servants, it actually means slave. It means slave. That's the translation for this. And what we need to know is that the practice of slavery, as we, understand, as we understand it here on this earth, in our context, we understand slavery when we are here about slavery as someone taking someone out of their family and then using them to do your bidding. That's how we understand slavery. And that is abhorrent to God. It's abhorrent. We see this in the Mosaic Law in, in uh, Exodus 21, 16, where it says, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or steal, still has him when he is caught, must be put to death. This is a big penalty. In the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, we see slavery in the same category as murderers, idolaters, and perverts, and liars, and perjurers. But, but it's crazy, because the flip side in Philemon, verse 16, Paul, or Paul calls his slave a brother. So, so what do we have here in the context of this text? Is there a contradiction of Scripture here? By no means. Of course there's not. So you see, slavery in biblical times was twofold. It was twofold. First, it was a way to pay off debts. There was no such thing as bankruptcy back then. If you could not pay, you would then give your time and your service to pay off the debt. That was one way of paying off the debt, you, you yourself. So this means many at one point or another walked as a slave. And it's completely different the way we think about it. So you got to think, if I couldn't pay for the meal, I'd be washing dishes in the back room until it would be paid off. And it would, I would be under the, the rulership of whoever owned that restaurant, and they would determine how much that steak cost. And so I might have been doing dishes all night. Because who's not going to order the big 16-ouncer, you know? Medium rare. Mm, so good. Sorry, vegetarians. The second way to look at slavery back in the biblical times was many entered into slavery because of war. Right? So if your country was taken over by another, you would enter into slavery. But even in this... Even in this, we see in Scripture there was always a possibility of working your way out of slavery. And we have stories like Joseph and Daniel and Moses and others in, in the parts of Scripture that we can learn from and glean from. So much so that they were second in command in the country, but started as a slave. That would not happen in this day and age, how we understand slavery. So it was different. So the context of the word bondservant or slave, somewhat nailed down, look back at our text and it says the slave, in other words, you and I as slaves of Christ are to work as if the Lord is always watching and to work as if to please him, not man. Vertical, please him, not horizontal. You're not to serve in the sense of 
pleasing the other for the sake of worship back towards you because that becomes your kingdom. It's all about him. So again, we see a similarity in Colossians 3, 23 to 24 when it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It's an amazing passage. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So whether a barista or a CEO, you are working for Christ. That is your role. So whether you do you do for the Lord. So whatever you do, you do for the Lord, not to please or fear what man says, but you work for Jesus. Going back to the definition of slavery for a moment, then if you owe debt that cannot be paid, every one of us does, you become a slave to the one you owe, right? So now look inwards of your heart. Every one of us has fallen short of God's perfection. It says this in Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of your sin is death. You owe a penalty. I owe a penalty that I cannot pay. So now I am a subservient. I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I am a slave to him. And this is how we ought to look at it. And my, my punishment is eternal if I don't accept his payment for me. I now am a slave eternally. And the Bible calls that eternal death in hell. If I'm going to pay off my sin on my own to Christ, who I owe everything to, my eternal punishment is hell forever and ever and ever. But the beauty is that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, paying the penalty. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and now as a bondservant of Jesus, we proclaim him. We serve him. We rejoice for what he has done. This is our story as followers of Jesus and our core identity. So our core identity is not only child. Our core identity is slave. That's who we are. So to practice to live, to speak about the one who has paid our debt. So may this be your challenge this week to live as a child, obeying the Father in full submission to him and as a slave to what he has done for you. He's paid your eternal debt. And if you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, then you're free. But now we walk, as we see here, part two, this is the walk. We don't just hear it, but we live it out. And we go after him. Not to please man, but to honor Jesus. Our final point is master-slave. In verse 9, it says this, Masters, such a great verse. Masters, do the same to them, servants, the slaves. Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. David Paulison says this in his book that I referenced earlier, the rule of submission, rightly understood and rightly lived, makes beauty, freedom, joy, and the glory of God shine forth. So when we rightly revere Christ, like 521 says, when we rightly are filled with the Holy Spirit and revere Jesus Christ, we are, we are making 
his name glorified. So whether husband or bride, this is a hard one, your bride. This is what the church is. We are the bride of Christ. So whether husband or bride, you are bride. Whether father or child, you are a child. And whether slave or master, you are slave to Christ. And all our efforts are to flow out of reverence for him. Everything, <clears throat> whatever you do, do it for the Lord. As Colossians 3.23 says. So here's a subtle difference in this. I want you really to hang on to it. There's a subtle difference. <clears throat> three on this side, three on this side. Wives, submit to your husbands. Going back to 5.22 to 33. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey and submit to your parents. Slaves, submit and serve your masters. Husbands, pursue your wives' well-being. Parents, nurture your children. Bosses, be fair and do good to those who work for you. That we might eager, eagerly maintain unity and peace with one another. See, David Paulson summarizes this beautifully when he says this. The focus of the scripture consistently presses wives, children, slaves, citizens, and the flock, the body of Christ, to serve those over them. To be the helper, to undergird those in authority. But husbands, parents, masters, rulers, and pastors do not do the same back. They are to serve the welfare of those in their care. And get this, that, that last line there. Both parties repent of self-will. Your self-kingdom. Both parties, both sides repent of the self-kingdom of ruling and domineering way to kill that. To, to serve in a, in a wrong way to, about ple people-pleasing, to kill that. Both parties repent of self-will, but in, in, but in different ways. So church, may we fulfill the work that God has given us through the spirit he has filled us with that we might experience the eternal kingdom he has saved us for. We're going to close the book of Ephesians next week and we all need to remember that God has saved us. Looking back, he has saved us, he's redeemed us, he's reconciled, he's, he's adopted us into his eternal family. He sealed us with it and filled us with his, with his spirit sealing us for the day of redemption. And now he's calling us to walk, to walk in the, the beauty of the grace that we've been given, to walk faithfully as servants and slaves and children of his in beautiful submission that he might be glorified. And if you'd like to be part of the adopted family of God, you simply, I've done this before, you simply need to accept that you are a sinner. You accept that you cannot pay for that sin. It's impossible. That you need someone outside of yourself, and that is Jesus, to save you. And then the four, fourth one is, like, like I said before, even demons believe that. The fourth one is that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, you will be saved. You're entered into the adopted family eternally. And now we get to walk together, glorifying his name. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your amazing grace. What a deep, rich passage you've, you've uh, given us in, in Ephesians 6. 
to walk as children submitting to our Heavenly Father, to walk as a slave submitting to our Master, and to see ourselves, even if we are a master or a father or a parent, to see ourselves in submission to our earthly kingdom here, that we might glorify your kingdom. And so I pray for us this week as we contemplate this, as, as we talk about it in community groups, as we think through this passage deeply, and that we will submit to you and you only, Jesus. That we will serve the people around us, not to please them or, or get the eyes and the, and the encouragement for man, but actually the encouragement from you, Jesus. That that would be our goal. That would be our heart's motivation, to please you, to work for you, not for man, but for you, Jesus. So I just pray for us as a body and as a church that we will practice this for your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.